You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. morning. And Merry Christmas. Christmas. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. Uh, Man, this morning, uh, as my kids got up, I said Merry Christmas to them, and they corrected me and said, it's Merry Christmas Eve, uh, as if to say, where's the presents? And uh, and so, uh, man, we have kids in service, and so we, uh, man, we realize it's going to be a little hectic, and so whatever you have to do, do. I mean, if you need chokeholds, whatever you have to do, just do it. Uh, But we are in uh, John chapter 1 for the fourth time in a row. And so John chapter 1, we've been looking at verses uh, uh, 1 all the way through 18 and then verse 29. And this morning we're going to start in verse 14 again. And uh, if you're saying like, man, we're still there. We are still here. I still have more to say, but I'm going to try to say it very, very quickly um, out of mercy for everyone. Um, But as we we look at this, man, I want to try to think about the idea of, of fullness, like, like the idea of like, man, like you just had a holiday meal with someone and all gathered around and you thought you were doing good, but you didn't realize as you eat, it takes a while for the sensation of fullness to catch up with your brain and you can overfill yourself to where when it catches up, you feel like you want to die. You know, this happens all the time, like, We'll be at a family gathering, and Kinsey just has so much more self-control. Like, we'll get to the end of it, and she'll be like, oh, man, I just ate the perfect amount. And I can't even speak. I just kind of groan. I just kind of make a uh sound. Man, the idea of more than enough overflowing, the sense of lacking that you had before, but now it's full. And so the same way that my kids corrected me um, this morning that said, hey, if we're not looking at the gifts, is it really Christmas morning or Christmas day? John, he tells a Christmas narrative, but he leaves out the details of the night. He doesn't tell us like Luke tells us. That's what we just looked at. Or he doesn't tell us like Matthew tells us where we get the story of the angels alerting uh, the shepherds, or we get the story of the, the wise men moving in, or the story of how you know, the angels show before uh, Mary to tell her the news of what was about to happen. We don't get those details. But we get a clear picture, kind of hidden a little bit, of what we actually get in Christmas, what Christmas means for us, what Christmas means for the Christian. And so as as we look at this, we've looked at things like the Word, that, that Jesus is the message that God wanted to send to us. So if you want to know what God is like, all you have to do is to read the pages of the New Testament to see what Jesus was like. And that is a reflection of what God is like because he is God made flesh. And then we looked at light, that Jesus entered into darkness like light, and darkness always flees the light, and Jesus can enter into the darkness of your heart, and he can enter into the darkness of your life, and he can start to push back darkness. And then we just kept building with that idea, and we get here to the idea of fullness. In verse 14, we see full of grace and truth. And then later on, it, we see like this grace upon grace. The fullness of God was on display for us with grace upon grace for us. And so, I'm sure we're okay over there. And so as we're looking at this, like we want to 
kind of hone in on the idea. Have you ever felt that you were missing something? Have you ever looked out and looked at people's lives and it just looked like they had what you needed, but then maybe you got what they had and it didn't quite fill what you thought you needed? There still seemed to be a void in your life. There still to be something that was missing. And so we get to the description of what we get in Christmas with the incarnation of Jesus. And one thing it says is we get a fullness. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in the person of Jesus. Like There's a fullness. There is something that we're missing. There is something that we're lacking. John is going to come around and give the story of Christmas by what you get. And he's going to say, the feelings of what you had are true. Until you have Christ, you are missing. When I was growing up uh, in our church, we took communion like like every third full moon. I, I couldn't figure out the pattern of when we took communion. Uh, but I remember as a little kid, you know, I, I hadn't made a, pro, a profession of faith. And so um, I wanted to take communion, but my parents uh, let it pass by. And we used the little like fake crackers um, and like the little grape juice in the cup. You got a little shot glass and a little bit of, it's not bread. I don't know what it is. Um, and I remember thinking, man, I am starving to death. And they won't let me have this. And I remember watching them go through, hold the grape juice, hold the bread. And like they just got a little bit of nourishment. I'm like, they have something I don't have. They're going to make it home alive. I'm not going to make it. I remember looking at what they had and thinking, I don't have it. And I desperately need it. The message that John gives is there's a fullness that you need. And so what we're going to see is, like, Fool's going to describe some things. It's going to first describe he is full of grace and truth. We're going to see that right away in verse 14 and then in verse 17. And then we're going to see that he is full of grace upon grace, more grace to come. And then he is full of God's grace made known. And then he is full of an invitation that he is full of grace made available. And so let's look at these gifts. So verse 14. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father. And then this phrase, full of grace and truth. And so this is showing Jesus to be the fullness of grace and truth on display. And so we spent a lot of time unpacking this uh, in the previous week. So I'm just going to kind of summarize it. Like when it says that he is the word become flesh, he is the message of God. He is the very self-expression of God that was made known. So if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. He who was both with God and was God was now made known in the flesh. He joined us in our humanity. He joined us in the struggle. He felt the loss of pain. He felt rejection. He, he witnessed tears and longing and he felt tears and longing. He felt the sting of lack and hunger and heat and cold. Like he entered into temptation with us. He entered into our struggle. He put on flesh and he dwelt among us. Jesus entered into humanity to dwell with us, to show us the glory and wonder of who God is, but he came to partake in it. And so the glory of God was manifested in Jesus. It was full of grace and truth. You know, if you jump down to verse 17, what you're going to see is going to say, through Moses we got the law of truth. 
But through Jesus, we get grace and truth. And so it kind of starts to paint a picture that would draw us back to Exodus 33 and 34 when Moses was with the Hebrew people and had led them out of Egypt, out of their slavery, and they were in the wilderness. And at some point, they're kind of going around Mount Sinai, but he meets with God up on Mount Sinai and receives the Ten Commandments. He receives the law of God, the truth about what's required of us, how we must live. You know, and, and the law was grace. Like it was a damning grace because we couldn't live up to it, but it was grace nonetheless because it showed if you want harmony with God, there's a way that you can live that brings harmony with God. But time and time again, we fall short. And so actually on the first entrance of the law, Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments and he sees what happened before him in in, uh, Exodus 32. The people got anxious, like they felt abandoned by God. And when you feel abandoned and scared, you start to grab for things. And so they started to sacrifice their gold and they put it in and they made a golden calf and they started to worship something saying, this is what saved us. This is what will keep us safe. And then it gives a description of just debauchery and sin that unfolded. And so Moses comes down and what follows is he holds up the law and it exposes what is lacking and then death ensued. We see that pattern over and over. The law of God is good, but when it's held up, it shows all the things that we're lacking. And in our abandonment, we start to reach for other things to try to provide control for our life. We think, I'm missing something, and we're right. We are missing something. That's what John is telling us. Like, we aren't full. We're lacking something. And so the law exposes the things that we grab that try to give control in our life or the things that we try to indulge in. And so Moses smashes the tablets, death ensued. And we might even just kind of ask, like, how is that like us? Like the pattern of I'm scared and so I bring something to direct my life or something to indulge in or something to distract my life. It brings something evident in my life that I'm lacking something and what I'm needing is something to ground me, something that is true, something that is stable, but something that can forgive me when I fall short. And so what happens after that is Moses then goes back up to receive the the Ten Commandments again. He intercedes for the people because God says, man, I'm done with them. I'm just going to destroy them. He says, no. He appeals to God's glory. He appeals to his character. He appeals to his promises. And so God relents. And then God offers Moses a favor. He says, what do you want from me? And Moses says, I want to see your glory. And God's like, man, you can't see my glory. But you can see where my glory has been. You can see my back and you can hear my name. And so what we see and hear in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, this is summarized just a little bit, is as God passes before him, and what it literally says is he sees the glory where God had been, and this is what he hears. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. And so right there in Exodus 32, 33, and 34, we see the law, the truth, but the law and the truth exposes what is lacking and what we've tried to fill into our lives. And then we see God come with compassion, grace, slow to anger, love and faithfulness, maintaining to thousands forgiveness, even for wickedness, rebellion, and sin. 
And so all of these things are held together. And what we see in John chapter 1, verse 14, is in Jesus we see the culmination all coming together of the truth of God and the grace of God. What we see and hear in John 1 is the same that we saw there. In Jesus, God's grace and truth is on display. So the first gift that we see in Christmas is the fullness of grace and truth. Now some of us, like we need to hear what's really true about our lives. We need to hear what we're really trying to get. Like we're running after things and it's not satisfying, but we keep forgiving them when they don't satisfy and we keep going in deeper and deeper and there's a longing and we look at people's lives and we say, man, they have what I don't have. But if I had that, even if it's just a wafer of it, I would be satisfied, but it doesn't satisfy. There's a longing inside of us. And here there is a fullness of truth and grace. The scriptures will tell you the truth about your life. They will tell you the truth about who God is. But there's more in his fullness, not just grace and truth. There's grace upon grace. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, it says, John bore witness about him, Jesus, and crying out, this was he of whom I said, he comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. And this is the unpacking of John describing what we saw, John the Baptist describing what John the Apostle said in verses 1 through 5, that Jesus was the the element of creation that brought all things into existence, made manifest here. Now, verse 16, it says, For from him, his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And and then verse 17, we've already looked at it, it says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Christ Jesus. But look back at verse 16, it says that from his fullness, the overflowing fullness of who Christ is, we've received grace upon grace. Like Jesus is the fullness of grace upon grace. Like the, the, the Greek, it sounds like a snack. Like the language, it says, charin anti-choritos. It sounds like an overcooked Cheeto that is spicy and sweet at the same time. Charin anti-choritos. It, it actually means grace anti-grace, which, which sounds like grace, not grace, but it actually means grace instead of grace. And so most translations do it like this, grace upon grace, meaning there's a base of grace, but when that runs out and you need more, more grace comes and it piles upon that grace. And the next day when you need more grace, there's more grace on top of that. It keeps piling up grace upon grace. But the idea of grace instead of grace would be grace in the steed of the previous grace. And so after this grace, more grace follows. That in Christ, there's always more grace to come. Like God's grace comes in all shapes and sizes. There's not a sin or there's not a failing or there's not a lacking that you can have in your life. That there's not a grace from God that can cover and fit just right. Grace follows grace. Grace heaps upon grace. Like the law was a grace that came through Moses, that it showed us how to live in harmony with God, but it also condemned us. But now in the gospel, in Christmas, we find that through Jesus, first in the manger and then upon a cross, there's a final grace that has opened heaven's doors for grace to follow grace. And grace comes in all sizes. Sometimes there's gentle grace. 
Like gentle grace is easy. It's like new beginnings and forgiveness received and opportunities that surpass your efforts or your abilities. It's kind words. It's moments where you just kind of see in the elements around you that there is a God who sustains things and brings them together. There is gentle grace. There's also violent grace. There's the grace that we receive of closed doors, failures received, struggles that endure, dreams that feel shattered, and the promise of the restoration of what God is and the sovereignty of God in your life is that one day we'll look back and we'll see those two as graces that were attacking sin in our heart that we didn't even know existed. And so grace in all sizes, grace that never runs out, like you're not extinguishing or exhausting the grace reservoir of God, like repentant hearts always receive lavish grace again and again because Jesus entered in and he has the fullness that we need. And so he is full of grace and truth. He is the fullness of grace upon grace, grace that follows grace, grace that builds up on top of grace, grace that never ends, that always comes down, that repentant hearts can always find. There's always hope. There's always forgiveness. There is hope for you because if you're a Christian, you're a child of God. Grace and truth, grace upon grace. Look at verse 18. Grace made known. Verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Like the, the word that's translated, made him known, is exegeto, which is where we get the word like exegesis, which it actually means like narration. And so we try to preach and do everything exegetically, which means we want to make the scriptures make sense. We want to bring them to life. We want to show how they show an emptiness inside of you, but a fullness inside of God and the grace of God who loves to fill that emptiness and can undo all things and redo and resurrect all things. And so what this says when it says this grace made known, it says that Jesus is the exegesis of God. He is the narrative story of God put on display for us. John is saying that Jesus is the story of God on display. He is the story that you need to hear and that you need to understand. He is God made plain for us. Jesus is God made known. God made known. Jesus, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the fullness of grace upon grace. Grace that follows grace. Grace that's built upon grace. There's a lot that John says we get in Christmas. And then Jesus, the fullness of grace, made known for us. And then if you have the scriptures or be up on the screen, jump down to verse 29. So John the Baptist was doing his ministry. It was ministry out in the wilderness. He was a super weird guy. Uh, he just ate locusts and honey and wore camel hair, which I don't know anything about camel hair. It doesn't sound soft. It doesn't sound like cashmere. Uh, in so many ways, like he was strange, but he preached that there is an expectation that is upon us because of the law of God. And man, the way they described the ministry of John the Baptist was, man, people gathered around because there was something about what he said that you hated but there was something about how he said it that you know that you needed it. 
And so he was out in the wilderness baptizing people for repentance of sin. And what we see in John chapter 1, preceding verse 29, is he looks up and he sees Jesus is coming. He knew Jesus already. They were cousins. And so he, he looks up and he sees Jesus coming and he says this in verse 29. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so John, the Apostle John, is describing what we get on Christmas morning. And what we get there is we get grace and truth, the truth about who you really are, the truth about who God is and what he expects. But we get grace upon grace. There's more grace for your life. You're not going to run out of grace and need to go somewhere else for more. But then we even get this grace made known that we can know what God is like by looking because he is the exegesis of the Father. That how he responds to people is how he'll respond to you. But then it's grace made available. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Like when John said this, he is standing on a wealth of descriptions from Genesis all the way to Revelation about the sacrificial lamb, what we always needed. We always needed from Genesis 3 on something to cover us, something to atone for us, something to fix us. And so really fast, just listen to this. Like, what was he saying when he said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? He was saying, Jesus is the Lamb of God that covers our shame. And so starting in Genesis 3, like right after Adam and Eve sinned, they felt shame and they started to hide from one another. And so if you remember this story, like they, they started to sew fig leaves together to make clothing out of fig leaves, which might sound like a cool designer idea, but it's not going to last very long. And it's got to be super itchy. So they start to hide what felt indecent from one another, and they start to hide from God behind trees. And if you remember, right before God expels them from the garden, he kills an animal and he makes garments for them to cover their shame. Now, we don't know if that's a lamb or not, but what it shows us is that God was going to do something ultimately to cover the shame that we feel. And so Jesus is the lamb of God that covers our shame from Genesis 3. But then we get other descriptions. Jesus is the gentle lamb of Jeremiah eleven nineteen. 19. In Jeremiah 11, the gentle lamb was schemed against and set up to take the fall. And so Jesus endured all the schemes of man and Satan. He willingly or we could say gently accepted the fall for you. So Jesus is the lamb of God that covers the shame. Jesus, the lamb of God, God's gentle lamb set up for us. Or Jesus, the lamb of the daily sacrifices that are described in Exodus, Exodus 29. In Exodus 29, it tells the people of God to sacrifice a lamb in the morning and a lamb in the evening. And so it tells us that we need forgiveness all the time. You need to wake up in forgiveness and then you mount sin and you need forgiveness in the evening. And so Jesus is the daily amount of forgiveness that you always need. But then we see Leviticus 16, Jesus is a scapegoat. Every year during the Day of Atonement, they took one goat and they sprinkled the blood of goats upon that goat and they sent it out into the wilderness and it was to show how we needed something, you know, our blood represented, the blood represented our sin, something to carry our sin away from us. And so Jesus steps in as the scapegoat to carry our sins away from us. Our sins through Jesus can be forever removed from us. Jesus, the Lamb of God who covers our shame the gentle lamb who was set up for our fall. 
the daily sacrifice that we need, that morning by morning there is grace and forgiveness, and there is grace and forgiveness evening to come. Jesus, the scapegoat who takes our sin away. Jesus is the lamb who replaced Isaac. And so Genesis 22 God asked Abraham for a sacrifice, and then he asked him for his son Isaac. And Abraham didn't fully understand. Hebrews 11 kind of tells us that he reckoned, hey, God gave me a son to carry this line. It's his promise. So surely he could raise him from the dead if he has to. But right at the very moment of the sacrifice, God provides a lamb trapped in thorns. And so Jesus is the lamb who replaces all sacrifice. And so Jesus, who was put to death for us, who was crowned with a crown of thorns, slayed in our place. Jesus, the Son of God, died in our place so we don't have to appease God with our sons. Jesus covers our shame. He's the gentle lamb that was set up for us. He's the daily sacrifice that we need morning by morning and evening to come. He's the scapegoat that takes all our sin away. He's the lamb that stands in our place. And we see it again in the Passover lamb of Exodus 12. In Exodus 12, the judgment of God was coming and it could have landed on every human being because every human being was sinful, but it chose to just land on the firstborn son. And then it chose again that firstborn sons could be covered if they put a lamb's blood in their place. And so in Exodus 12, you see the picture that a lamb was sacrificed and the meat was prepared and then the blood of the lamb was covered over the entrance of the house. And every house that was covered with a lamb's blood was saved. And so the same thing is true for us. If the blood of a lamb covers the entrance of your home, the judgment of God is satisfied. Jesus, the Passover lamb, satisfies the wrath of God. But it's more Isaiah 53, it says this, He, Jesus, was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus is the lamb that was led to our slaughter. But it's also Jesus is the apocalyptic lamb of Revelation. Just listen to this. Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 19, or I'm sorry, 21. First, He's the lamb that cleanses us. Revelation 7, it says, The one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Jesus is the lamb that cleanses us. Jesus is the lamb that conquers in Revelation 17, it says this, they, meaning all evil, will make war against the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And so he conquers all things for us. But then Jesus is the lamb that brings us home. In Revelation 21, we get the, the language of he, the people of God are his bride. And so it says, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And so the picture of that is the faithful husband bringing his bride home. When John said this, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he looked at what you get in Christmas and he said, just this hint, Jesus is going to do something for you 
out of his fullness to fill the vacancy in your life. And the good news of of Christmas, if you're a Christian, if you trust and treasure Jesus, then John wants you to know that you don't have to try to fill that void to impress God. You can't fill it with enough good works. You don't have to do anything to make yourself right before God. It's been done for you. And by trusting and treasuring, it is given to you. He has covered you. He has cleansed you. He has conquered sin, Satan, and death for you. And like a husband, he will bring you home one day. And so listen to the words all together. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Merry Christmas. Let me pray for us. Father, Lord, um, gosh, I just ask for for help. I pray as we come, uh, coming to the table and be reminded of communion is there's not a whole lot there in the sense that it's going to fully satisfy. Like you just get a little bit of bread and you dip it either into the wine, which is in the stoneware, or uh, the grape juice, which is in the glassware. And it's a reminder that there's more to come. And so, Lord, it's also a reminder that we don't bring anything to the table, but everything's provided. And so, Lord, this Christmas, like, could we rest that there is grace upon grace, grace that follows grace. We're not going to run out of grace, but there's always grace for repentant hearts. And so, Lord, when we say Merry Christmas to one another all season long, may we be reminded of all that we get in Christ. In just a moment, um, when I say amen. There's different movements that you can make. And so one, man, if you trust in Jesus, man, we invite you to join us in communion as a reminder of that. But there's also going to be people behind the curtains if you want someone to pray for you. And so wherever you are, man, the gift of grace, grace and truth from Jesus, grace upon grace that's made available for you, grace made known in the person of Jesus, and then grace that's given and made available. It's for you. Lord, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come when you're ready. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas, please visit our website at fcclawrence.com.